great Canadian talk show. There's only a couple of watts, but I brought the truth to everyone within three blocks of the West Side of Campus. No way! Yes way! And now, let's get right down to business with Marty Gold. Welcome to the Great Canadian Talk Show, episode number 29 in our series in the calendar year 2022. Marty Gold here with Spirited Kenny. Uh, an unexpected week off last week attributable to uh, Kenny's birthday. Yes, well, me and my friends, uh, we have a, our birthdays around the same time. So there's like one day of the year that we celebrate it. And for some reason, we haven't been able to do it the past couple of years. So I wonder why. Yeah, I don't know why. But I you know, episode 29, that's plus 40 equals 69. Just uh, in case you guys were wondering. Doing some quick math here. Quick math. Yes. You know. And good math, too. Well, you know, it's easy. Not like that you know, modern four. math. Oh, my God. Modern okay. math or discrete math. That discrete math, when I took that at university, it broke me. And that's the course that made me quit university. <laughs> discrete the, math. the course that led you in a radio, oh a mathematics God. course. Yeah. It's the most terrifying math. I thought I was good at math. And then I go to this class and I'm like, what the hell is going on? Where's all the numbers? Why are they doing these things? So yeah. somehow or other, we ended up without an episode last week, even though I didn't realize that was going to be the case. But Kenny yes. knew, and I guess that's what was really important it, in the whole thing. Yeah, well, when you sent you sent me the notes earlier in the week, so I'm like, oh, well, for sure we talked about it then, if he's already giving me the notes, and he'll send me a time that we need to record it. So that's that's what I had in my head, but I should have I should have verified. So that's why you haven't heard from us. I know a lot of public issues have piled up in the last couple of weeks. We're going to get back on the on the beam, I, and in all, in all likelihood, this week... Uh, as we record, in all likelihood, I will do a news commentary midweek, and we will uh, get that online. Kenny will then get that online. He won't be able to participate in the discussion. Well, there Absolutely. will be no discussion. It'll be a commentary. Uh, but that way, we'll have some content. We'll get it up for, for you fine folks. Uh, there's certainly a lot going on on the crime and public safety end of things, uh, as well as a few stories that we've covered thus far. But really, what I want to do right now, and before things move too much further along, holiday greetings to all of you. Hanukkah beginning tonight as we... Uh, as we uh, record these festivities, um, and uh, my fondest reminiscence of Hanukkah, my, me and my brother, uh, uh, growing up, uh, he sent me a note today. If you just close your eyes and breathe really deep, you can smell the buckwheat latkes. And buckwheat latkes are the smelliest things imaginable. It's like right up there with people cook fish and liver and stuff. And whoa, does it smell, and whoa, is it delicious. The best kind of latkes, buckwheat latkes. They smell and are delicious, like sauerkraut. They smell like something else, man, but they are so good. <laughs> really, like a My, salty thing or a sweet thing? No, no, it's not a salty or sweet thing. It's just a very rich flavor, I guess, the best way to describe it. My grandmother having that that old-time recipe from from Propoisk, uh, we were, like, among the few. Like, to us, it was a normal thing to have, eh? But it really, like, you'd go to my grandparents' house, and, and even latkes normally smell a lot. But like and like the I don't know if, for those of you that don't know what a pleasure it is the air gets really thick right. when when you start deep frying potato pancakes uh, and, and many Jewish families have stories about this but the buckwheat latkes was like the next level up of of just a smell that's hard to describe you really don't want to replicate but when the reward is those delicious pancakes yeah that sounds uh, fantastic. It is as long as you don't have to make it. <laughs> it. It's like it's like tongue. 
uh, beef tongue, which is a delicacy that we ate quite commonly. And I was, I mean, I was squeamish, but to us, tongue was delicious. And we ate it. And, you know, it's the kind of thing, as my late Auntie Rifka said, it's, it's, it's delicious. But for the amount of time and the effort it takes to actually prepare it, it's always better when somebody else has made it. You got to right. boil it for four hours and you got to peel the peel it. And then you put, ugh. but it's so good. You gotta find someone who's passionate about making it. Then, so I guess is what you're saying. Those old time, those old time Jewish mothers and grandmothers sure would. Work they like and talking about you know each other and making meals and the family, the whole was family everything. thing. Yeah, family was everything in my culture growing up. Uh, it was amazing looking back at it. But we, you know, we didn't have things to fracture us and to distract us. You know, I, it's we, we're dealing with three television channels, not 150, 55. We we weren't dealing with video games. We weren't dealing with with things. So f- being with family and around family and activities with family, uh, I mean, it was nothing for me to go out on a shopping expedition. You know, with my sister and my mom and my grandmother and her two sisters, and I'm like, you know, a little boy and I'm around like, you know, four women and four or five women and my sister and stuff. That was a completely. Um, is just normal, you know, that kind of presence, that kind of uh, of um, environment was uh, totally normal for us. And yeah. uh, much much to our benefit, because now it's hard for kids to feel connections to things. And that's also how you learn about your roots and your ancestry, is from being around family talking about that stuff. And when you haven't done that, you turn around and so many of them are gone and kids want to know. You know, even last weekend on my mom's side of the family, there would turn into a group discussion. Because one of my cousins, very close to me in age, had just gone. It was in Europe for her anniversary and mm-hmm. wanted to go visit my uh, our maternal grandmother's, uh, our, our maternal grandfather's rather, home, uh, home in Manchester, England. Okay. And we got into this discussion about my mom's side of the family, uh, what is for me my mom's side of the family, and our grandmother's side and our grandfather's side. And we don't know where, like my mom's maiden last name, that family, we don't know where they came from. Hmm. They went to England for 20 years. They left England, went to the Argentine, came back to England, and then came to Canada. Don't ask. We don't know where they came from in the old country. We know where my grandmother came from. We, we know exactly where. We, uh, I've got a pretty good idea. You know, the, the family had a business and, and such, but my grandfather's side, nobody has any seemingly any real knowledge of where they came from in the old country and, hmm. and how their name got anglicized because their name was already anglicized. Yeah, it is amazing, like just how a hundred years ago, there's not a lot of records. Like, if you want to disappear or get like have a completely different family name, you could listen. Just do you it. could be you could be disappeared because you could come to this country from the old country and you spell your name. You tell the immigration guy and he writes your name down a certain way with a Z or a Y or yeah, yeah. you know whatever variations. Your brother shows up and they can change the spelling of the family name, and you have families where the family trees and the names are spelled like differently. Yeah, yeah, that, it's crazy, that's, eh? That, that goes on on my mom's side, where I thought we were only related to people that spelled that name a certain way. Mm-hmm. And at some point, some immigration guy or somebody changed the spelling, and there's a whole branch of, of my family where I didn't know that they were related to me. I'm not, I don't know any of these people, but you get the idea because their name is spelled differently. <laughs> yeah, Weirdest and just because people didn't have any respect for people's names back then, they're just like, ah, oh, whatever, we're going to... Well, like the immigration I... officials... Listen, the immigration officials certainly didn't. If they decided that you were going to be called... If they decided that your name was X, they didn't care whether you know they got it wrong. Yeah, <laughs> that wasn't there. That wasn't their job. Here, <laughs> nope. you stamp it. Here's your here. Here's your your entry. There you go. Welcome to the new country. Uh, 
Now, to get on to this week's episode, it's going to be a, a, a little different. We're probably in the second part only going to concentrate on one of the very recent important news stories that have uh, that have emerged. Uh, but here in the first part, we're actually waiting on a caller to join us. Yes, that's right. Just like old time Kick FM Radio, Great Canadian hmm. Talk Show is going to conduct an interview with a leading elected official. I, I know mean, hopefully, all... hopefully they already know because it should be in the title name. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm going to have to come up with a title that like doesn't spark the interest. Uh, you're right. Just like if this was radio, you'd be hearing this live. That is correct. We it, are yeah, if it was waiting. radio, it would be a big mystery. Yeah, absolutely. But there's no mystery that Kevin Klein, a, uh, a longtime friend of this program, might I add, having appeared in studio uh, with us in Kick F uh, at Kick FM when he was publisher of the Winnipeg Sun. Uh, Kevin Klein is uh, going to be joining us, hopefully, uh, momentarily. And uh, we're going to be talking with him uh, only this past week, elected as the representative of the Manitoba Legislature for the uh, citizens of Kirkfield Park. And so I'll be uh, uh, exchanging some uh, questions and hopefully answers uh, from Klein, who has moved up from city council in a, uh, uh, an unsuccessful run at the mayor's chair and immediately pivoted to running for provincial politics and winning a, a tight race uh, in Kirkfield Park that was viewed as a referendum on uh, health care in this, uh, in this uh, city and in this province, uh, as reflected through the voters of uh, Kirkfield Park, uh, and uh, withstood the challenge uh, from the NDP and the Liberals with a turnout of around the same as the civic election, 36.5%, I think, uh, give or take, was the turnout in the, uh, in the by-election. One of the quietest by-elections I think I've ever heard about. You know, I, I live in the riding, and I had to remind myself that there's an election going on. I agree with you, Kenny. It was uh, well. You know, what do you when you say quiet? What do you mean quiet? I'll tell you why I think it comes across as quiet. But what do you mean when you say that? Like, I don't remember seeing too many signs. I remember seeing uh, Kevin oh, Klein's yeah. signs, but not a lot of other people's signs. They I may not have lots of coverage in the uh, local news about it. Well, you know, a lot of the coverage wasn't necessarily about the campaign. There was coverage about Klein, right? Yeah, the, newspaper, yeah. the, the media tried to stir up controversy. Or, you know, the opposition parties, too, I guess, try to stir up controversy around Klein uh, on a personal basis. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly, and be the liberal candidate being an empl longtime employee of the Grace Hospital, uh, there certainly was a lot of coverage of issues raised by, uh, by the liberal campaign as it related to... Uh, uh, wait times in the emergency room at the Grace, right. uh, the area hospital. Uh, so there was coverage, I think, of some of the issues. The campaign itself, you know, I find that, I, I find the way you're describing it interesting. Um, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a strange campaign in that it followed it, followed it, followed hmm. the civic election so closely that I think there was a lot of tuning out on the part of the public. And I also don't think that any of the candidates, uh, and, it, and it's not like a civic election, provincial elections, you're not going to have candidates step forward and say, if I'm elected, I'm going to bring forward Hush. legislation for this or that. I don't know that, and I'm not saying he didn't, we can ask him, but I don't know that Klein did that. I don't know the other candidates did that. I mean, they'll support legislation, but to champion something, most MLAs do not run as champions of, of anything beyond the party banner, I think, is a, the best way to put it. Right. Yeah. Yeah, you're sort of just towing the line at that point, right? But yeah, I just I just thought it wasn't uh, 
I, I kind of forgot it. Like I said, I kind of forgot about it. But, you know, I wasn't searching it out, though, either this time. Uh, the Civic Collection was, was in your face everywhere. So I guess I have to ask a question, then, though. I don't, I, I don't mean to pry, but Kenny, did you cast a ballot in this election? No, I completely forgot about it. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's like how, that's how bad it was for me. <laughs> Don't make me send you to the penalty box, Kenny. Well, what? You forgot it was election day on Tuesday? Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. That's how it is. You sometimes well, you forget, wait, but that so. was like right after your birthday. Yeah, yeah. It was. Well, that's right a little more understandable. But yeah, well. <laughs> preoccupied with free hydrating <laughs> free hydrating yeah I need some IVs <laughs> was it that bad kid well I'm old and I'm not my body's not used to that. I haven't drank in like weeks or well, you months never, yeah it's and then I so do it again and I do it like I was a, a young guy with my friends and I was like my body's like what what did what did you think was gonna happen I don't know you're right <laughs> Yeah. Well, luckily, it's not like we had a midweek edition uh, contemplate or anything either, because so, that would have gotten scrubbed too from the sounds of it. Well, we're not playing an all Marty episode, I think. <laughs> Another one of those. Uh, well, I, maybe I should have contemplated that. Uh, with regards to the civic elections, we uh, await hearing from uh, from uh, Kevin Klein. The, um, the, the race was seen as close. Uh, the uh, Liberals running a vocal campaign. I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, and uh, with with somebody who works within the healthcare system, uh, and garnered around eighteen hundred votes. I believe the Liberals picked up picked up uh, uh, maybe only around fifty votes. I think it was. Uh, but again, in a by election, you're not expect you know you're not expecting that full turnout. So the Liberals did show some traction. Um, the uh, the NDP had high hopes, and they sure did, to take this seat. To Bla- Sharon, uh, uh, former health minister Sharon Blady having held that seat, although the second time around she only won it by I think it was a dozen votes. Right. Uh, and, and so this was seen as a competitive seat, and it certainly did turn out to be a competitive seat. Uh, about forty four hundred fewer votes cast in the by election than in the uh, previous general election in the riding. Uh, and the what you really saw, as explained by the Black Rod, is about three thousand conservative votes stayed home. Three thousand eighty-nine. So the, the and I think this, there's some validity to this that the people the, who previously supported the government weren't exactly motivated to uh, put on their uh, their their uh, you know winter boots and hike on down to the uh, local ballot box. Uh, the NDP have to be very disappointed in this for a number of reasons. Number one, I think they were counting on the negative campaigning about Kevin Klein against Kevin Klein in conjunction with the messaging about the failures of the uh, Stevenson administration to come to grips with the uh, emergency room backups and and, and, uh, other, other problems with the healthcare system. Uh, they thought that the com- combination would swing people to view with favor the prospect of Wab Canoe um, uh, being able to use this as a, as a you know a card to play, and that did not turn out to be the case. Uh, uh, one other point that the Black Rod 
me that the mainstream media will not touch, has not touched, and won't dare touch is the absolute, complete, utter collapse of the Green Party that they always give, uh, you know, ink to, uh, but that gets coverage, news coverage, far disproportional to their presence and impact in the Manitoba voters' marketplace. Uh, the the Green Party attracted only 8% of their vote from the 2019 general election. So oh, wow. that tells you right there that it's a non-entity. And then they're, granted, they're going through another leadership phase uh, presently with a $200 deposit for qualified uh, parties of qualified interest. Uh, th- that party's dead in the water. No different than federally where they're down to 10. Like this, a party that has 10,000 members across the nation and is and is led by one of the one of the most like absolute absolutely bumbling uh members of parliament uh, imaginable in terms of what comes out of her mouth elizabeth may who who like a broken clock is perhaps right twice a day but the rest of the time she just says the most inane things and in fact is is never really among other things never really grappled with the problem of anti-semitism within her party because she embraces some of those points of view and some of those commentaries and then um, you know, she tries to play both sides of the fence. Uh, that's been uh, est- established uh, in other venues. Uh, but uh, this, uh, my point is that the Green Party is an as a political entity. Uh, maybe in BC it's strong, or other parts of the country. Manitoba, it's a dead duck. Oh yeah, hundred percent. There's no Green Party support here anymore. None. Uh, Klein winning by about 160 votes, uh, and and the Black Rod also making the point of. Uh, that the political science we always we here on this program I love talking about the political scientists from time to time and the things that they say about elections. Uh, Royce Coop said that uh, told Global News the strong liberal vote ate into the NDP's vote. Uh, Coop from the University of Manitoba. CTV's headline: Close win in Kirkfield Park by election may not bode well for PCs and long run expert. The expert being Mary Agnes Welsh for Probe Research. You know how, how great they are. How is winning losing? It doesn't make any sense. A week before, the, yes, a, a week before the by-election, they showed the NDP was unbeatable. I just got a text message, Kenny, just to tell you from uh, Kevin Klein, who said that he's trying again and that it wasn't working for him. So we'll see how this resolves in a moment. Oh, maybe we got to shut things down and let Maybe him we join. do. You know what? So you know what? Then l- let me just finish this point on this. We'll go to the okay. break, okay. and then we'll try to get him on. We'll do it that way. Okay. Uh so Chris Adams saying the PCs are weak and vulnerable. I'm going to short shorthand my own point of view on that. Uh, yeah, weak and vulnerable. They held the premier seat. They held the seat that was held for a number of years by the former finance minister. So Tory voters are not sufficiently turning against the conservatives in those seats. And the NDP isn't showing great appeal to middle of the road voters because they have they finished third in Fort White and they finished uh, granted a strong second. Uh, in Kirkfield Park, but clearly there is no swell of support for a party being led by Wab Canoe right now, at least not the way the media tries to portray it, and at least uh, the way the political scientists try to portray it. And what was that you said, Kenny, since when is winning losing? Yeah. All right, let's go to the break, Kenny. Very, f- yeah. very fast break. We're going to, with any luck, come back with the new MLA for Kirkfield Park, Kevin Klein, here on the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. The Great Canadian Talk Show is brought to you by The Hive Hair Company. From classic to funky, the styles of your life are at The Hive in the heart of the Osborne Village at 175 Osborne. Call 452-4483 or online, thehivehaircompany.com. Now, we're back here at The Great Canadian Talk Show, and uh, 
it's feels good. I have to say to be able to uh, restore something that, uh, that we made our mark with on Winnipeg Radio, and that is interviewing elected officials. Uh, Spirited Kenny and I are joined now by Kevin Klein, a longtime friend of this program, going back to when he appeared bravely, appeared in studio uh, at the <laughs> Kick FM studios back in, I think it was 2009, might have been 2010, when he was publisher of the Winnipeg Sun. And now, Kevin Klein, I don't know the day we met we ever expected we would have a conversation with you being a member of the government on Broadway, but here you are representing Kirkfield Park. You know, uh, first of all, I, I remember that back to that first time and uh, the show that you were doing back then. And I'm, I'm happy to hear that you're doing it in this form. Uh, I think it's the best thing that we could have in the city. It's great. It's a, a good form of, uh, of news and information, in my opinion. And no, at that time when we uh, first met, I never thought we would be having this interview whatsoever. Not even close. I don't I don't think you have harbored. I mean, I didn't in those in those days. And that was a very good interview. I just to explain to the audience I had we we covered mainstream media. It is the the although the mainstream media didn't like it in some respect, in some regards, a lot of reporters uh, did and some editors, some editors did not. Uh, some publishers mm-hmm. did not. But part of the role of independent media is to provide checks and balances on the mainstream media because they don't go report on on their own biases or misdeeds or mistakes or this or that. So that's the job of the gadflies in broadcasting and in print or whatever. And that's the role that we filled. And I had invited Bob Cox from the Free Press, who I don't think ever actually responded. I did not know you, Kevin. I didn't know you at all uh, when you had become publisher. I had no idea who you were. I think I remembered you had worked in radio previously, and that's how I knew your name, but I never met you. And you came into the studio that day, and we got a tremendous response from the listeners, for one thing, because you came on and you you talked about the role of independent media and you talked about the role of in the marketplace of different voices in, in specific media, whether it's different radio stations competing with each other or different newspapers, and how important that was for a proper public conversation about the issues at hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I still believe that wholeheartedly. And that, that's why I'm happy to hear you're back on, because I think for the last, you know, I'm not going to say how many years, because I would be guessing, but certainly the last nine, in my opinion, we have lost that uh, balanced media approach within the city of Winnipeg. Well, sure. And there's less talk radio in Winnipeg, less call in radio than ever. So the voice of Winnipegers uh, has actually been minimized. Um, uh, rather than increase, despite the fact there's so much more media and and in terms of people being able to be their own voice, so to speak, the fact is that I don't think there's there is no other weekly news podcast in Winnipeg. We were the first, took a number of years off. We're back and it's like we're still the only ones in the field. Uh, and and I, I I'm encouraged by your support. Uh, I just want to harken back to the last. I'm not sure if it's the last time I saw you, but I think the last time I saw you was when you announced, made your announcement that you were running for mayor of Winnipeg. Yeah, it would have been the, the last time you and I saw each other. Right, was, at a yeah, Park. In the summer. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. I, yep. I, I dropped by the campaign office and I met Hannon Bell, which was shocked me that I'd never met him. Uh, <laughs> and and, uh, and your, uh, I, I think he was your ward assistant, was there uh, with him. And... But, I, you know, I, I missed you. I dropped by the one I think I dropped by the one time and uh, was was nearby uh, the area. And I, I missed you then. But we did provide as much coverage as we could of the can- of the campaign of all the candidates, yourself included. Was there some aspect of your civic campaign? Was there any issues or insights that you developed that helped you formulate your 
provincial campaign? That's a good question. I, I, I don't think there was um, really any insights. Well, that, that would be incorrect. I, you know what the, the main thing that I, I learned I, through the um, campaign for mayor is that you it really is important to talk to people face to face. It's difficult to do when you're running for mayor. But I, I think that that's where an opportunity was lost because people have an impression of you by a photo or stuff that they read that's all negative on social media or, you know, they read in the media, which is skewed in one direction. And it's not it's not really just the facts. So they have they get an impression. An impression is given to them, let's say. Um, sure. so, so when you have the opportunities to talk to somebody like in, in this recent campaign, I got to we knocked on almost every door. Uh, sometimes twice in Kirkfield Park. That That is really something that allowed me to have uh, an opportunity to get to know people better, but also to have a real conversation and for them to get to know me as well at the same time. But we could talk about issues, but talk about solutions. Or we could talk about the football game. You know, for a couple of days, that's all we talked about was the loss sure. of the Grey Cup. So right. I, I think the insight part is that we really it really proved to me that Politics needs to be at the doorstep. That's that's the level we have to be at to do our job properly. And I think over the last several years, politicians have really gotten away from uh, standing at the doorstep and talking to the person that pays your salary and doing what they feel is best or the majority of the people you represent feel is best. We just seem to be swimming all in one direction and not really having the conversations that are necessary, uh, we've moved away from those. And, and I think I found that in this in this campaign for sure. Okay, I just I, I, I just want to uh, sort of veer backwards a minute, back towards 510 Main Street, back towards City Hall for a second, based on what you said, and then we'll we'll keep going in the direction of, of, uh, of 405 Broadway. But based on what you just what your observation is, your personal experience, it's not like you're a detached observer. Uh, based on your personal experience, and I'm not asking you to say anything bad about anybody, but doesn't that handicap anybody who runs the mayor's race in a way that, the, based on your experience, the campaign that by definition doesn't give them the contact that maybe would benefit them with the people at the doorstep? That to win to win the race for mayor, you have to be you have to campaign in a way that. It separates you from from knowing what the people want, what their best interests might be in their own eyes. Well, I, yeah, and I, I don't want to really get into the the platforms and such, but you, but we really tried, and I really tried to keep ours about what I what I heard from residents, focused on the crime, focused on you know not making deals going into it, and 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 tried to stay away from all the endorsements because um, as I said to the media several times and they never covered because they would ask me, well, why don't you have any big endorsements? And I would say, I'm not asking uh, because to me, every endorsement uh, equates to a promise of some sorts. Yeah. That's some quid pro quo. Oh, absolutely. Every time. Let me look at the, uh, you can look at the civic uh, campaign and you can see, uh, you know, some of the uh, some of the promises that were made that were implemented right away. And and I didn't want to get into that. I thought that that's what I wanted to get away from in politics. Training. Yeah. And it really became that. Uh, but then, you know, from the provincial st- standpoint, it's ugly. 
like the provincial race is ugly because, you know, elected officials inside the chamber can lie, cheat, do whatever they want. And they're untouchable, which which, of course, is, was put in by politicians. And I've had, you know, some say to me, uh, oh, because I said I want to get rid of that. They were like, well, no one's going to vote to get rid of that. You know, politicians need it. They don't need it. They want it. I think think more politicians, to follow up your point, and I'm well aware where it's affected people who've run uh, as candidates and been broadsided uh, by opposition parties in the legislature – the problem is that they say things that that either aren't true or that or that are half truths at best. Uh, and the next thing, you know, somebody smeared on the record and the, it's done with with literal legal impunity. Uh, I think more of these members uh, of all parties, I say this about I would say mm-hmm. this about anybody for any party. You want to start going after a candidate uh, who's running in a, in a by-election or election or something or at another level of government, feel free to repeat those remarks outside the chamber without parliamentary immunity and yeah. see what happens. Yeah. Because there are exactly. many, I, I mean, I don't know who said what about you. I will give an example. That will be the day somebody like Nahani Fontaine repeats outside of the house the things she has said about civic-minded Winnipegers inside the house. And I can think of numerous examples. And I agree with you that that it's 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 the you know the the thrust and parry of politics is part of what used to make it enjoyable to watch. Okay, I mean it is you know part of the spirit of of parliamentary politics, but it's been weaponized. The the parliamentary immunity in some cases has been weaponized, and that's very unfair to people who who are putting their name on a ballot, and it's it's it stifles democracy. It, it certainly does stifle democracy. It, it it stops good people from running for office. But, you know, as you know, and we just talked about, I've been in the media or was in the media for a long, long, long time. And I think the media is is to blame here because the media doesn't understand or they, they don't comprehend when they write a story that it doesn't have to be true when it's said in the chamber. Um, I think they know the rules, but they... They, they write the headline or they write the story um, like anybody else trying to get, you know, trying to get uh, as clickbait, if you will, but, trying to but, get views. But you know what they never do, Kevin? They never go to the member in, in a scrum. They even, do they even scrum at the legislature anymore as an example or City Hall? They don't go to the, 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 the person who made the comment and say, would you repeat your words uh, at, at this particular legislature? Would you repeat this here outside the House? Would you go on the record right here, right now, and say that again about about those other individuals? And 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 I'm not saying any party is immune from this. I think all parties do it. I know that the most egregious examples have come from the official opposition. That I am, you know, sort of personally, you know, uh, uh, read the transcripts and 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 seen, you know, so and so's name came up. It's like, how can they say those things about somebody? And and the media doesn't try to hold them to account. They just want the clickbait from so and so says, you know, somebody else is a is a such and such, and they just yep. want the clickbait. And they don't they don't do the most natural thing is would you repeat that remark outside the outside of the house? And they don't even try. They don't even ask. No, 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 no. That's I where mean, the accountability is falling apart. Yes, and then that's the media standpoint that I was taking. It's, there is no accountability with the media when they're writing that, but there's no accountability within the chamber. There's no accountability at City Hall. And that's really, you know, four years ago when I got into politics is what I wanted to be, you know, f- pushing back and trying to change and implement 
accountability at our different levels of government. I was trying to do that at City Hall. I'm going to try to do that at the legislature because I think that's why we are seeing the issues we're seeing. That's why it doesn't really matter who gets elected because they all say the same thing or do the same thing. That's why one party can come out and say, well, we'll fix healthcare and hire all the staff if you get elected. No, you won't, because they're not going to come just because you're the government. You have to find the people, train the people, get the people to move to Manitoba. You have to do everything that the current government is doing. So you know, well, why? the other thing you have to do is work is the working environment. And 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 a lot of the working environment revolves around the administrative issues and the way the administration of hospitals and health authorities deal with their people. It's very it is in fact very complicated and not as simple as uh, we'll hire because uh, you know I use an analogy. It's imperfect, but I've used this analogy recently, and people get it. You can add all the taxi plates you want to add cars for Christmas season. This is in the old days. But if you don't have any drivers, guess what? You got a bunch of cabs sitting parked in a driveway. Yeah. And yeah. and so adding adding the positions, and if you don't have people to actually fill the positions, you've done nothing. And that's actually what I am. My understanding is, I'll mention this now. I don't know that it would have come up in the podcast uh, this week. Otherwise, I am of the understanding that there's a. Uh, you know, hospitals get affected by all sorts of things, and one hospital is badly affected now by a re- severe reduction in parking. And people aren't taking shifts because they can't park their damn cars. This is what I've heard. Yeah. And I was going to be following up this week. So it's there, there's all sorts of factors go into these things that, that are creating staffing shortages, uh, as well as retirements and uh, and other such things. Uh, your focus generally, though, generally speaking, coming out of City Hall, City Hall had no mandate with regards to health care by and large. Uh, and the province has a great mandate for it. Uh, but in particular, at City Hall, you were the probably the most vocal proponent of of uh, enhancing public safety, uh, and uh, now you're at the provincial level. Just today, you put up a post uh, explaining why public uh, safety is a main concern. You wrote of mine in our city and province, and this regards to the 15-year-old uh, taking a shot outside the vendor at the Green Briar on uh, Friday night around 7:30 p.m. And uh, the 15-year-old arrested with an 18-year-old male and a 26-year-old female on there facing all sorts of ammunition, guns, charges, discharging a firearm with intent. And uh, the 15-year-old, obviously on the enhanced program of criminality, in possession of 23 Percocets, and I just noticed, Kevin, failed to comply with condition of release order. So let me focus on that. Times yeah, two. times two, correct. Let, so let, let me, me add, let me, but let me, so I don't want to cut you off, but I'm going to. Go my, other issue, my other issue with that is if you read the information from the Winnipeg Police Service, yeah. the, two, the two adults uh-huh. were let out. On, on an undertaking, own. as yeah. mandated by the criminal code. They, they always yes. fall back on that explanation so the police don't take the heat. Well, and it, rightfully so, because the police, I think if you're involved, uh, like this is a shooting. This is a gun, a gun weapons charge. You you should be in your you're with a 15 year old. You're obviously uh, you know involved. They should have been held. They should have been uh, you know le- held in custody. But if you look at this entire last five days, have you really looked at the police? Really look at the police calls. We've had more gun calls in the last. Week. That I've noticed. But, Polo Park. That, Polo Park. Well, I mean, yeah. 
I remember doing a ride along and, you know, where we would like, spend night shifts with the police because I wanted to understand our crime situation. I, I've seen, you know, we, I was with them when they stopped an individual on the skywalk that had a, a gun. Like mm -hmm. they, they're, they're prevalent in our city. And we they sure are. I'm glad you mentioned that, Kevin, because that's the one thing that I, that I, I, I wanted to point towards uh, the, uh, what happened in Polo Park, this incident in particular, because this was a restricted firearm. Uh, where I'm not arguing whether it should or shouldn't be restricted, because in this case it was tampered with. The serial number was tampered with. I believe this. I, be I believe the uh, weapon had been altered. I mean, this is highly illegal, and they let the adults who were accompanying this child. How did, how are they released from custody when they would have an illegal, a thoroughly illegal weapon? Yeah. And 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 be riding around with a child and and acting as a as a um, uh, as his means of escape from these from the crime scene. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're the getaway vehicle. So to me, the police having to release the adults that were involved, but the uh, not just that they failed to comply with condition of release order. If you've listened to our podcasts, and I know you have, Kevin. Kenny and I have noted this repeatedly. How many times these cases of extraordinary violent crime, I'm not talking about, you know, shoplifting, these extraordinary violent criminals and consistently failure to comply, violation of probation. There's a degree to which the province has influence in these matters. What will you what will you do to enhance public safety with the perspective of recidivism? And 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 I, 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 I leave the floor to you, but this is part of the problem is that release orders aren't working, conditions aren't working. The violent criminals will re immediately return to committing violent crimes over and over and over again. And we're seeing that the evidence is there. So no one, th th these are facts. What you're saying are facts. And they're irrefutable. They're just, they are facts. This 18-year-old and 26-year-old, I mean, they were charged with possession of a pro prohibited and restricted firearm as well. They had uh, they had unauthorized possession. So again, as every police officer in Canada will tell you, they've never arrested somebody with a, with a gun that they obtained legally, right? So th there, there's all kinds of different issues that are at play here. Um, as far as what I would do, it's something that I've talked to the premier about. The first thing that I appreciate uh, and one of the reasons that I wanted to be on the PC team going forward is they've taken action to go after those that have warrants outstanding. They've brought back a warrant team that consists right. of RCMP and Winnipeg police officers. I think that's great. I don't think it's enough. Uh, I'll be quite honest. I think we need more officers assigned to that. I think we need some justice uh, department officials assigned to that so that we are making that a priority. In the United States, it becomes a priority uh, because of bail bondsmen and they go and get people that will go out, track these uh, individuals down because there's money at stake. There's a lot of money at, yes. you know, if they violate. So the in the, I mean, it, seems, it seems to me that the state, uh, uh, the state continues to propagate a system where I look at these kinds of individuals like one way or the other, Kevin, I look at them like they're gun traffickers. This is an altered weapon. It's a restricted weapon, an illegal weapon, and it's been altered. This is gun trafficking. And so people connect. If guns, if if there's such a fervor 
about by the Trudeau government in particular about guns and guns are bad and all this other stuff. And it's always a gun that's been stolen in this case altered so that it can't be traced or maybe it's enhanced, you know, a illegal sized cartridge or, or whatever. I, if this is so bad, how is the people that are engaged in what is essentially gun trafficking are released under the criminal code? So obviously something's wrong here. Well, it's not, I guess if you're someone who's committed the crime or you've been caught with a gun, and if you're let out as, you know, mandated by the criminal code, what's to stop you from re-engaging in that? What's, what's, what is the, what is your fear of re-engaging in a, in, you know, and carrying a weapon of that, uh, of that like? I mean, the fact that we're finding them, at, you know, pull apart mall or we're finding, you know, them in the skywalk. Another, uh, unfortunately, but fortunately, the, the lady is now in stable, stable condition, was shot on Main Street over the weekend. These these are becoming far too common. And, you know, it's funny because when you talk to some people about this, they say, well, I just won't go downtown or I won't, you know, go to certain places because they see gun crimes and they automatically uh, relate that to gangs. Well, yeah. So so they can they can make it they can make themselves feel better by saying, well, that's because people are associated with gangs. But it, it's to a point now where the Winnipeg Police Service had said, we have more guns in Winnipeg than Toronto on our streets. That's because, crazy. But it's becoming an issue. So, again, it kind of gets pushed to the side because people can say, it's a gang thing. You know, that's just a gang. It's a community thing. It doesn't matter to me who has a gun or who doesn't have the gun. I, I think we have to look at the problems that we're seeing. I, the 15 year old who was charged, I feel incredibly sorry for that child. I, I feel, you know, we have to engage in, in bringing more programming and more opportunity for our youth. I well, talked about that during have, the I have to push campaign. back, Kenny, uh, Kevin, I have to push back on that for one second and not on you yeah. personally. But, yeah, but yeah. Kenny and I have, we look, we look at these cases. We, we've got, we're not, you know, we're not new to the dance here. How many programs has this 15-year-old already had a, the opportunity to take advantage of? Where's the accountability for all, all of these juveniles? How many juveniles in the city have been charged in the 51 murders so far? Plenty, correct? And that's yeah. a fact. I'm, we, don't, we aren't going to bounder about an exact number, but it's more than one. That's just with the murders. This is just, a, in this case, no, thank God, nobody got killed. These kids, their families, their social workers – where is the accountability for everybody that's supposed to be guiding or protecting that child or alternately protecting society from that child? There's never any accountability down the line. But, but when, do, when, do, when do we start even paying attention? I, I understand what you're saying, but what I'm saying is that, uh, you know, Gino D'Astasio, University of Winnipeg. Yes. So he sure. and I met a couple of times. His, uh, actually, his boys used to referee with Florby. Um, uh -huh. But uh, we were having this conversation on the study that he did that showed when communities and cities got rid of uh, programming for uh, their youth in some of the more challenged, uh, fiscally challenged areas of the city, crime went up because kids are then, you know, uh, getting uh, attracted by gangs. So they're they're you know, they're being spoken to their their target, if you will. Because there's nothing else there for them. And, and so I'm saying that we have to start looking at, first of all, we have to go after the top 100 criminals in our city now, like ag aggressively. Let's go after them. Let's, and this was Gino Stasio was telling me, 
Let's go after that. Let's make it our, our day. Every day, we're just going to apply pressure, apply pressure, apply pressure. But we need the resources to do that. Right now, the Winnipeg Police Service has just enough resources to do the day-to-day 911 responding. They had to move uh, homicide investigators from cold cases over to the over to our regular homicide unit because they're so busy. Major oh, crime. Yeah, sure, this year yep. they are. And, and but they're moving people around just to get by with the bare minimum. We can't do it like that. We so what, have what, to what be more targeted. What assistance are you going to propose that Premier Stephenson come forward with to help, in particular, the city of Winnipeg? I know there's crime problems in Brand and other areas of the province, but you represent a, a, a ward here in the city. What do you think Heather Stephenson and her caucus should be doing, uh, her government should be doing, to, to relieve the pressure on Winnipeg police and to en- enhance public safety by keeping these kinds of gun traffickers, people who would use a child to do their dirty work, out of circulation? Well, that goes on the federal government because it's part of the criminal code. So those are changes that we have to be made at the federal level. And I think we all, we all have to. Oh, I, I got an idea. I, I got an idea. How about if the Crown attorneys start opposing releases on some of these characters? It just Again. is a matter of course. And, and, and let the defense counsel earn their bucks and convince the court that, uh, that these releases are, war, are, are warranted and won't compromise public safety. I'm just talking out loud here. I'm just thinking out loud. Okay, these are and, and interesting perspective, but again, still, you know, well, any people attorneys, don't think the crown attorneys, attorneys have. Ken, hey, Kevin, people don't think the crown attorneys have their backs in the city. Absolutely not. Nobody believes the crown attorneys are doing a, are are doing a good job in terms of ensuring that 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 the public is being protected. You know, I never hear anybody anymore talk about oh, you know, crown put away this person or that person or whatever. They don't see the crown as 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 fulfilling their duties. And that is something that is within provincial, provincial purview. First thing that I would do uh, to answer your question, very first thing I would do and, and a conversation that I've had with our premier is that I would like to see more resources uh, uh, provided to the Winnipeg police service. In 1999, Marty, we had 28 police cars that covered the city of Winnipeg for 911 calls. 1999, 23 years ago. And what do we have today? 24, I guess. And what do we well, have today? The same 28. Lately. Yeah. The same 28. That's it. Our, our population's gone up by more than 200,000. Our city is growing geographically. But more mm-hmm. importantly, the crime rate has been soaring out of control. You cannot continue at this pace uh, on on a shoestring. We have to provide some more resources to the Winnipeg Police Service. I would also love to see a dedicated downtown unit, dedicated oh. by having put a station on there, get a community station right on Portage Avenue. I know headquarters is down there, but we all know nobody's there. They're out on calls. But I would like to see a dedicated downtown uh, unit that would focus on our core. Nothing is going to change. And I know people will say, well, you can't arrest your way out of it. You can't do that. We have to provide public safety for everyone, well, this including, is a- including the 13 or 12-year-olds that are at the park that are being approached by gang members. Mm-hmm. We have to stop that as well. 
And, and I unfortunately, politicians don't want to get into those conversations. They're afraid to have that conversation because they're afraid, oh, you know, nobody wants to see the, you know, a, a law enforcement or a, you know, a crime candidate or what. Yeah, well, I'm afraid they do because everyone I talk to in Kirkfield Park doesn't go downtown anymore. They're afraid to ride the, they're afraid to ride the bus. Look at the, we had 40, you know, apartment buildings and condos broken into over 40 days. Oh yeah. That car, that was a dandy crime spree, eh? a stolen car every six days and a break in every day. They were busy. They they were busy. Right. So we have a lot of crime going on and and yes, there's multiple solutions out there to fix it. But we have to have the resources to do it. And, and I'll say this. We have the ARC unit. That's the police unit that has a, you know, a, a mental health expert in the car with a police mm-hmm. officer. Because I've heard so often from you know politicians on the other side of the chamber at the legislature, at civic and federal. Oh, well, we, have to, we can't just send police to everything. I have spoken to social workers in Manitoba and said, would you go to one of these calls by yourself? Never. Of course they won't. We've been. They wouldn't even dream of going on their own. So all of this talk is senseless. The reality is, is we have one, I think, one full unit for ARC. Why don't we resource them? Because we're seeing it works. Why aren't we giving the police more resources to implement more units for ARC? So again, you have to give them more support for that and be specific on your support. Instead of saying, here's, here's a bag of money, this is, this is all the money you're going to get, spend it the way you want. Maybe we need, we need to, as the provincial government right now, become more specific and say, look, we're going to give you this bag of money, but this bag of money is to put on more resources and we want to see you grow your ARC program and we want mm-hmm. to see you know, a dedicated downtown patrol unit. That, that, to me, is actionable and, and, and trackable. That, that's the type of things we should be doing as a government. We can't continue to look at this at the 30,000-foot level and, and really play politics with this anymore. We, we have to crack down on the gangs that are in our community centers. Marty, I, I went, we drove into one when I was on a ride-along where gang members dispersed, and there was kids in there. Yes. They, give them, yeah. they give them $50. Here's 50 bucks. Go buy yourself something nice. No, no strings attached. Do that no a couple of times. Here's a hundred dollars. And it's, then it's they, easy to, it's easy to, 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 to park your, your, I could say this cause it's a podcast. <laughs> it's easier to park. It's easy to park your shit with a you know, 12 or 14 year old kid. Say kid, hold on to this. Give it a, you know, if you're, they're holding the, somebody's drugs or holding whatever. And they piece the kid off with 50 bucks and, you know, being a lookout and Hey, you know, thanks for taking care of that. And it's easy to ingratiate yourself with a kid who's who's de- who's needs money, who's desperate, who doesn't feel uh, do- doesn't feel any close re- relationships or sense of trust with people. There's all sorts of ways that that works, but that is absolutely what goes on. And and it's I agree with you. I'm actually surprised because I don't know how well you're going to fit in as an MLA in some points because you speak very frankly and directly. And most MLAs, in my experience, have already learned the art of politicking their way out of direct answers. I can't do that. Uh, <laughs> I, go, I, I don't want to do that. I, I know that it might get me in trouble, but but you know me. You've known me for yeah. a while. I, I can't. I, I just can't waste my time on that. I, I really cannot. I, I think that we have a job to do. 
And our job is to, you know, fix this, bring solutions forward that solve the problems our residents are having. So we know, we know with beyond the shadow of a doubt, gangs are going after our youth. Can I, can I bring have, a point? We have a guns and gangs unit in Winnipeg, but it's so small. I would challenge you to find out how many people are on it. I don't want to say. Uh-huh. I want you to do the digging and I want to hear make a note your of that, response. Please? Yeah. I want to I want to hear your response afterwards sure. when you find out we'll, how we'll many officers are actually dedicated to gangs and, can, and, get, and getting them to stop going after kids. You'll can can I make a point though, Kevin, with regards to this boy? This has gone way longer in a much more fertile direction than I expected. But Kevin, I want to make one point about gang violence that a lot of it is based on turf. And sometimes those turf wars are also based on, you know, in the old days, we'd call it ethnic divisions. But you've definitely got rivalries in this city that revolve around people being from different cultures, I think is a safe way to explain it. And I'm not saying that one group is worse than the other, but there's definitely some of the tensions are between these different kids and young adults from different backgrounds and different ethnicities. Do you think the province should be taking a role to try to broker some uh, some truces? Since the city just obviously can't grasp this kind of stuff, do you think the province maybe can show some leadership and and try to ensure that there's some peace in the valley uh, between these different groups? Because one thing that I've noticed, it's, and I've talked about it on this podcast a couple of different times, in the 1980s, Yorma Mizrahi and Claudia Wright, Claudia, then the chair of the Human Rights Commission, uh, they had a, 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 a sit-down sessions in the inner city, in the neighborhood of uh, Ellison, Maryland, and uh, convinced some rival gangs to tone it down a great deal. And uh, and Claudia brought forward her experience from negotiating the rate in the race riots in Detroit, like 1967. I mean, she, this is a person with extraordinary experience, as was Yoram from, from negotiating various ceasefires and, and, and such things in Southern Lebanon in his day. So these people did have extraordinary skill, but they were able to bring a little bit of peace to the streets of Winnipeg in the mid eighties. And, and nobody even thinks of how to, ratchet down the tensions between these gun-toting gangs. And, and I wonder if that's a lost opportunity or a missed opportunity the province could step in on. You know what? It, it could be a missed opportunity. I think it's something we have to look at. I, I think that we have to find, you know, everyone's talking about finding different ways to uh, do policing. And that might be one of those ways that could be very effective for us. Um, we could also, this is here, here's one of the things I've thought about, and I don't know how people will take it, but uh, look, I'm, we've already gone this deep. Let's swim yeah, a little Yeah, let's deeper. keep going, right? Um, is that uh, with our ARC units, which uh, you know have the mental health expert in the car to respond, wh- why don't we have a gang unit with a former gang member to respond? That's an excellent idea. That's a very good question, actually, uh, as to why why you why the the system isn't geared to having people go out into the field that can communicate to some of these individuals i'll use a term here that i think is essentially correct at their level you know somebody who can who they might see as a bit of a peer because whatever's going on now and i'm not blaming the police in particular certainly not but like whatever's going on ain't working because there's more guns more violence more shootings uh, carjackings, everything else. So what what we're trying now, it simply isn't working. It's the same as our community. I know community centers fall under the purview of the city, but I think we should be sitting down and having a conversation with them because what an excellent place 
to uh, to then hire some of these former gang members. These the gang members that yeah. you know, have an experience. They've they've mm-hmm. turned their lives around. They want to contribute to society. They're and doing those are the best role models. The For those kids, that's, yep. I, I think it would be priceless to have them sitting in all our community centers because you know what? They know what to they know yes. what they're looking for. And that's not a shot against cops, it's not a shot against anybody else. But no, you it's don't know. An, it's it, the society needs more tools, and not every tool is a handout, and not every tool is a sub is some sort of subsidized program. Sometimes the tool is leadership, sometimes the tool is right. mentorship. And and yes. I, I I I listen. The other thing I want to mention is while we've gone you know vastly off the rails, uh, not really off the rails. We've certainly gone d- deeper into pa- into policy issues than than I expected, and I don't mind it at all. I actually welcome an opportunity to have a conversation like this with you, uh, quite unexpectedly. I uh, the I think there are a lot of elected officials, unlike yourself. Okay, you've always shown sympathy for the victims of crime. And there are a lot of elected officials nowadays that talk a lot about things like root causes and all these other factors that, in essence, in my opinion, try to mi- try to minimize the damage and the trauma experienced by crime victims because it's easier to try to tell society it's your fault this is happening th- than to actually take steps that can can straighten people out and get them on the right path. I don't think there's enough sympathy expressed near, certainly since you're now out of city hall and the legislature, you're in the business of partisan politics. I don't remember the last time I heard the opposition really talk, uh, you know, about the victims of these, of, uh, you know, like the guy who was shot at in the Greenbrier parking lot, the people that were victimized by that 40 break in crime wave. I don't know. The NDP will ever say a word, express a word of sympathy for those victims at all. But they'll show sympathy for the 15-year-old, which which I, I appreciate, but that 15-year-old we should have been helping when they were five. Sure. We should have been we should have had things in place when they were five. We should have had we should be taking steps. Leadership means getting those who can fix the problem to go do what they do. Leadership isn't just sitting there saying, okay, well, we're not going to blame this on any one person. We're going to take a very, you know, a, a gentle approach to all this. No, I, I would much prefer to come out and say, you know what? We are going to focus the next, you know, 12 months on keeping gangs away from our young people. We're going to, that is going to become job one for a while to make sure that gangs cannot get to our young people because that stops. You know, that eliminates an opportunity that they've been taking advantage of for a while. And it, will we see results right away as a community? No, but we will in 10, 15 years. I know I disagree with you. I think I personally, I think that you can have results pretty immediately because if the minute the minute that's there and a kid is put on a, a correct path, a law abiding path, you're you are preventing crime within a month or two or three because that's one less kid. uh one less kid fencing stolen goods. It's one less kid being the the lookout for in the you know in the old days two years ago would have been a liquor store robbery, right? And and so yeah. I actually think that the fruits of that can be borne fairly immediately. Uh, but longer term, you don't have that recidivism. You don't have that entrenchment in a in a criminal environment and a life of the normalization of crime. And 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 that I think is a big issue also that the province 
uh, has not addressed. I'm not speaking specifically of the Conservative uh, governments, but of all governments for the past 20 years. Um, they, they, none of them, I think, have really grasped the way you do the 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 fact that criminal behavior has been minimized and it's been normalized sociologically in a lot of corners of Winnipeg, where where. It's not that. Oh, it's not so bad. Well, and all the sympathy for the for the criminals. Again, a fifteen-year-old, they're at a stage of life where, depending on their on their situation, they 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 we would normally expect them to know right from wrong. Like a fifteen-year-old knows not to shoot a gun at somebody, clearly. But but there's a lot of environments where criminality is 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 encouraged and celebrated and and and. You know, because somehow you're sticking it to the system or you're sticking it to the man or society has perpetually wronged you. And I think the province has to take steps to, to, to perhaps enhance the point of view uh, that that criminal behavior shouldn't run in families in Winnipeg and it shouldn't run in, in communities in Winnipeg. And I say of all families in all communities here, I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but it becomes normal in certain environments. And, and that normalization, I think, is, is, is something the province should be actively finding ways to um, campaign against because kids get used to this. You know, there's always an appeal to, a, to, to some kind of, you know, bad boy, outlaw, something or other. But in this city, we saw with the liquor store robberies, people, they were, they were accepting of it. They were encouraging it. They were encouraging wow. people to go steal liquor and bring it back to the parties. That's not it. That's nutty behavior. I I think that there's there there you know I I don't want to say that where people are encouraging that I have never witnessed that so I I can't say that um, but what I what I can say that I have witnessed is we've taken out a, a lot of the um, processes or opportunities especially for our young people uh, to find a different path. Sorry. Mm -hmm. I, I know that. And, and, and I believe that cause I, I believe that, you know, because of what, it, what happened in my life and the way we lived and all that, it could have, we could have gone either down several different paths. My brother. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? So, I mean, I, I think we have to look at the reality and I'm trying not to get into, uh, or with anybody really about the, here's how it started. Here's why it started. This is, I, I want to start having the conversations about what we're going to do about it and how quickly I, mm -hmm. I want to have the conversations about what it looks like in 10 years, 20 years. I want to, I want to have conversations like Gino Dostasio and I talked about where he said, if you could recall many years ago, the Winnipeg police did the clean sweep. Yeah. That was back after Glenn Murray uh, left politics. The clean sweep clean was when we were on the air at kick FM. Yeah, that's right. That was, yeah. That, that was, a, and it was, I believe it was the Sam Cates initiative, right? It was very successful. I don't know if sure it was, was. A, the mayor's initiative or a police initiative. I would I would think police, but not sure. Um, but it was successful. And then they stopped it. And look what happened when yep. they stopped it. Everything mm -hmm. started going back up. And it's not just, you know, a lot of people say, well, I had a few people on, you know, on social media or whatever. Oh, you know, you're talking about crime in one of the safest neighborhoods of Winnipeg. But I look at it as this way, you know, I, Winnipeg is my home. This is, this is my home. So it doesn't matter what area of Winnipeg is suffering from crime. It's where I live. So it, it has an impact on everybody. 
it doesn't matter where you are. And if you look at the condos that were broken into and the apartment blocks of where the cars were stolen, it's everywhere. If you look at stores yep. being robbed, it's everywhere. The outlet mall. It doesn't matter where you go. You know, crime is happening. And I and and we've our population has grown. But the way we deal with that and the resources that we've had in place, we haven't been able, we haven't been able to solve the problem. We haven't been able to deter crime. And I'm not saying deter in the negative sense, you know, that everyone wants to get into, oh, you just want to bring out the army. No. But I would like to see more resources used by the Winnipeg police. I would like to see, uh, you know, the opportunity for, you know, uh, instead of having to get somebody with an MSW to go with police for the ARC unit, why can't we get a, a drug addiction counselor who has the lived experience, right? Because somebody taught how to deal with it at school has certainly has their way. They, they have a proven method that they were taught through post-secondary education. But if somebody with lived experience knows exactly well, what I, that person I, is feeling. <laughs> I, coming from the, the sort of, uh, you know, train of thought that we have on this program and our own life's experience, uh, those paper qualifications, they, they can look great until the rubber meets the road. And then it, yeah. you, it, 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 too often, too often, certainly in Winnipeg, there's uh, an unhealthy obsession and reliance on the idea that uh, people who've graduated from formal education programs are therefore the experts on things. And meanwhile, they've never actually, you know, lots of people are experts on things, especially gangs. You know, everybody's an expert on something until they've actually been faced with a situation where somebody pulls out a gun or actually been in a position where you have to fight to defend yourself. And then you, you learn the textbooks don't exactly explain every situation. Yeah. I, I think I, I can share a quick story with you. Sure. It, it might be a good place to wrap it up is that yeah. where I, uh, uh, teaching martial arts, I, mm -hmm. I, you know, you'll have some people come to you and they'll say, okay, what is the specific dealing with? Oh, I learned how to defend myself. Okay. And all every time, well, what happens? What do you do if somebody points a gun at you? Run. <laughs> like you know like yeah. you know to do you know follow the process you 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 have to understand that that the crime for a lot of people is that they they've never they've never had that experience to, to what you're saying no mm -hmm. one's experienced it so unless you experience that i think it's really difficult uh for you to to have that sympathy and not just sympathy but to know exactly what to say so if you have a police response police officer responding with a, an addictions uh, person a, an addictions counselor if you will that has lived experience who has gone through the treatment programs who is healthy now they know those words that the people need to hear they know uh what will comfort that person um and, and, you know, for me, as I, I said, I spent a couple of nights in a, in a Salvation Army shelter when I was young. Mm -hmm. I'm not I was very surprised that. to read that during the campaign. You had not mentioned that to, I don't know if you'd mentioned it otherwise, but it's, you certainly never mentioned that to me before. And I was very touched to read that, that you had gone through that experience. It, I didn't you know, it. it's just something you just never talk about. You know what I mean? You never felt mm -hmm. to talk about it. But but I actually got, I went to the Salvation Army and spoke to them. And I, I remember going into a room. It wasn't the one in, in Winnipeg. But I remember going into that room and thinking, oh, my, that, that feeling comes back. So I get, I, and that's why I, I say to anybody who starts talking to me, it's like, look, not every person who lives on our streets 
is addicted. Uh, not every, uh, yeah, and, and not every person that lives on the streets is, um, y- you know, uh, by choice. Um, Correct. Not every person that lives on the street is uneducated. Some That's most of the, a lot of the times so they're very well educated people. People, yeah, people that have been successful. I I don't think that the you know that those are individuals who often with just the right kind of supports can be can get their lives back on track in a relatively short order. And I just to in, in, insert our own experience, when my son and I took over uh, emergency on an emergency basis, when we took over management of the Royal Albert, uh, it's uh, this was in 2014, and th- so that's what they nowadays call a single room occupancy hotel. And there were people that were had no place to go and had you know enough money. In some cases, they didn't have enough money to cover the rent, but they needed a place where they felt they would be safe and just be able to cash their breath and, and organize themselves. And I know just from, from that experience specifically that there are people that they only needed like two months to catch their breath, get caught up at work or get another job and and get them you know they want to be responsible but they don't have family supports their savings are exhausted or you know in some cases they could have been you know like robbed or ripped off or something sometimes it doesn't really take much um to to stop that downward spiral to help somebody stop that downward spiral and and like not everybody is hopeless is is i think the point that you're making that i'm trying to reinforce not everyone is hopeless they've ended up in a situation that can become hopeless and that's where I think the focus of people's of government's efforts should 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 not more. So I'm not saying more one more than the other. But I don't think that is really appreciated enough by social workers. It's much easier for them to deal with people that are completely dependent on the state than people that only need a little bit of help for a short period of time. The whole, yeah. the whole system. In my, I mean, I saw it firsthand at the hotel. You know, we're trying to help people, and they they're like, "Oh, it'll take you know a month for this." And I'm like, "Are you nuts?" Let's get this guy out of here. He doesn't need to be here. He just needs to be here to be safe. Yeah, that. But that that comes with changing, not just policy, but but changing commitments of governments and and, and direction of government. But right? instead of thinking in four year election cycles, mm-hmm. thinking longer term, we need to think longer term. You know, and, and that's really again why I you know fought hard at the city level for crime, or fought for police, or or whatever the case may be. It, it's and why I fought for homes for heroes. You have mm-hmm. to think of the long term. Like we're the only city in Canada that charged uh, homes for heroes, or had you know made homes for heroes buy land. We didn't. We didn't get. We didn't go to them. Um, so we do a lot of things sometimes that uh, I think makes us our own worst enemy. Because Homes for Heroes is one of those programs that will help homeless vets, of which we have over 160 on our streets. That's over that's, 160. Yeah. And to me, that's Think unconscionable. That. That, that's unconscionable. unconscionable. And, and you know, the, so there you have a proven program that's going to work. So my, you know, my discussions with them is that well, it's interesting. Why why aren't you doing that for non-veterans? Right. Well, the, obviously they have a path they're going down. But why couldn't we look at that model? And that's mm-hmm. why, you know, I said, let's bring in the trailers because we'll get back to the issue with government mm-hmm. is that a homeless person can't get employment uh, assistance unless they have an address. Yep. And they can't have an address until they get employment assistance. And nobody wants to take an address at a place where they're not going to be safe. Exactly. And, and in that situation, and I can tell you because I can remember those nights. 
-hmm. you're afraid you're scared when you're in when you're in a shelter it's a scary Mm -hmm. feeling and I, i don't think i'm the only one that felt that i've talked to others that have experienced it much worse than I ever, ever could imagine. And they mm-hmm. said they felt the same way. They, that's why you need to have your own space. And that's why these tiny homes, uh, the accommodation trailers and so on are necessary. But again, it comes down to putting, you know, not just talking about it, but actually just doing it. Okay, we need the accommodation trailers. Let's just do it. Let's pull the lever and let's do it. If we want to address crime, let's pull the lever and let's do it. If we know the ARC program is it's going to work for us, then let's pull the lever. Let's invest more money into that today. How can any level of government or any government of any political stripe say no to those things? How? Well, I guess you're going to find out, eh? it's just so bizarre to talk with you and not be talking with you about about city hall and and i mean i've had to recalibrate my not my approach not my approach to you but but just you know the way i i i try to come up with you know uh questions for you or or you know things that feed into the provincial level that that you're now going going to be not just again as an mla but as a, a government uh uh mla uh, and so you're in a position to try to affect the issues that you've voiced at City Hall from a totally different direction, a very unique opportunity, in fact, that you have in front of you, presuming that the Premier and the rest of caucus have uh, open ears to uh, to your entities. You know, I, th- I think the Premier, uh, I can't speak for everybody uh, on the rest of caucus, but I know the Premier uh, has certainly uh, indicated to me in, in our conversations that she's looking for solutions. She wants solutions for our our province and our city, um, and and how they are presented, I, I think, will make a big difference. So I, I'm 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 excited about that opportunity. I, I think you know the at the provincial level, it's going to be a, you know a lot more rhetoric uh, from the different parties. You know, first of all, every media is saying that we were you know the PCs just couldn't win. Uh, Kirkfield Park, it was a it was a disaster for. Yeah, you didn't hear it, but in the party. preamble. In our first part of this show, I, I went through that and the numbers and the fact that, uh, you know, whereas 3000 Tory voters may have stayed home, the, the Green Party's completely collapsed and the NDP certainly doesn't appear to be attracting those middle of the road voters that uh, in Manitoba and Winnipeg swing between the two main parties and, and often decide government. And, and it doesn't look uh, based on this result, based on the result in, in Fort White, where there are conservative voters, they aren't buying the Wab Canoe message. That's what it looks no, like. They're, they're certainly not buying that. And especially now that he, in this uh, past by-election, try and do the uh, coalition of sorts of liberal NDP. I think we've all had enough. Of oh, that. yeah. The strategic voting. We all see how well yeah. that worked. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, it's a little bit nonsense. And the reality is, is that, you know, where the NDP would come out and say, well, we, you know, we really knocked down the lead. It's like, well, you got less votes than you did in 2019. You didn't gain anything. You know, uh, the Liberals only, I think, gained what forty-six or something like that. They didn't. They didn't gain a whole bunch. Um, so, I, I, that part of it, to me, is what I don't like. I, I think every constituency should come down to an elected official working for the residents in their constituency mm-hmm. and speaking on their behalf. You don't get elected. To go to go do what one person tells you, right? You're not there to uh, to uh, uh, do the will of one. You're there to work for the will of many. 
And that's your constituency. And I know, you know, at first they came out, uh, the other politicians came out because they said I would fight with Wab Canoe or Heather Stephenson. And, you know, oddly enough, uh, Heather never said a word about that. We chatted about that. And she goes, I want you to fight me on that. If it's an issue for your constituency, I expect you to do that. I don't expect you just to say, oh, okay. Because I think she knows and, and that I'm not that type of person, but I don't think she's looking for that on her team. I don't think any leader looks for that on their team. Well, I don't, maybe I shouldn't say that. Some political leaders do want people that are just going to do what they're told and not, not stand up for their residents. But I think it's truly important not only to stand up for the residents of Kirkfield Park, but for all of Winnipeg and all of Manitoba. Because nobody wants to talk about this one fact. We are short skilled labor like everywhere else in Canada, right? Everybody is having a problem. Every province can't attract nurses or doctors. Yes. But we can, we're doing what we can. We have the $200 million dedicated to that. But you know what's more important is the quality of life for those that are looking at Winnipeg. And do you think when somebody Googles Winnipeg or starts looking into some of the other news stories on Winnipeg with our record homicide rate, with the high, you know, with our violent crime index being among the highest in Canada, mm-hmm. that we become their first choice? No. Who, who wants to look, who internationally or, or even nationally wants to locate their business in downtown Winnipeg at this stage? Nobody. Air Canada, so we, ever since Air Canada left, that was the message. And frankly, City Hall, the majority of City Hall, I'm not including you, obviously, did not understand how serious that was. And I don't think the provincial government understood how serious that was either. Well, right. But that, so that's what I'm saying is that now as a government, as leaders, as community representatives, we have to lead the, the, our province back to a place where we are the first choice. You know, and, and that's what I'm trying to do is what I'm saying, you know, public safety. That needs to be a concern. How we how we work with our, you know, most vulnerable people. That is that's you know what depends makes our quality of life because in general, we have a fantastic place to live. We yeah. Our, the lakes, the parks, the, I mean, there's so much that we have to offer that we should be, should be the first choice of everybody wanting to come to Canada. And that's what I want to spend the next 12 or 10 months, whatever it is until the next election. I want to make sure that we are striving to be the number one choice of everybody who wants to be in Canada or any medical professional in Canada wants to come here. We have a great housing market. Uh, prices are still affordable. We have great, uh, you know, getaways for nature, hydro, water, hydro. We, ha- we have it all going for us. But the, we have to deal with our public safety. We have to deal with our most vulnerable. And, and we have to continue to focus on the entire package, not one or two things as they arise. And that's what politicians have been doing. It comes up, it's a big deal on social media. Oh, well, I'll react to that. Instead of, no, we're managing the future. We need to manage with a 10-year focus or a 20-year focus even. Then we're going to start seeing positive change. And I think that that's what we're going to do as a PC team. That's why I wanted to be on this team. And that's what I want to bring to the table is that we're always looking ahead. Never behind, always ahead. Kevin Klein, it's a good place for us to leave it. I think I can speak with assurance when I tell our audience that you will do another interview with us in the new year at some point in 2023. You bet. Anytime. And 
and I, I, for ourselves, and again, you don't know this because we we uh, did the preamble and then took a break and then brought you brought you on. But we we're starting to have conversations because people have pointed out uh, that um, uh, well, I've con- I personally and Kenny and I have had these discussions. I've contemplated just uh, how, where the effort should be with the kinds of things I'm doing at this stage of life. But people have pointed out uh, after our coverage of the civic election that there's a provincial election that will not be enhanced by fewer voices in the media marketplace. And uh, I hadn't really thought of it because honestly, I was like you, so beat after this city election. I don't know if I really wanted to take on another campaign, but I'm being encouraged to. So I, I, yeah, you know, I would encourage you as well. And I, and I would, uh, I would, uh, I would encourage you to stay, you know, stay true to your brand if I can. Um, if I can say it that way, uh, it, it not, not offensively, of course, you have a brand. So I would stay to that brand and I would make the provincial election about every one of the representatives that are running for the different parties. You're not just voting for a party anymore. Every person that you elect will be sitting at a table and making decisions on your behalf. So unfortunately, a lot of parties try to make it about their leaders. They try to make it about, you know, oh, well, these guys, you know, they tried for six years or seven years. And, but then, the, and anyways, I don't want to get into that. The reality <laughs> is, is that I, I think what we have to do is look at each individual riding in the many different constituencies throughout our city and province, because that's, that's who you're sending. Legislature. That's what's most important. I mean, I know that there's party faithful on, on, on in, in every party, and I, I appreciate that, and I respect that, I, and I understand that. But really, when it gets right down to it, you're electing someone to represent you at our provincial legislature. And I think it's really important that you understand how that person, uh, you know, how will that person take time to be you know, 100% informed, do everything they can to be truly informed when it comes to a vote or a decision that they're going to make? Or will they look at uh, creative solutions to problems that we're having? And will they think more than four years ahead? Or will they simply just vote how they're told? Right, along the party line. Along the party lines. Because because this this is where change happens. Change starts to happen when we start looking at the individuals as a whole that we're sending to the legislature. You need strong leadership to bring those type of people together and get the best out of them. And I truly believe that we have that strong leadership. And and that's what's important. We need to have that strong leadership that allows people to come in, be who they are, provide solutions, and be engaged in the process. uh, Because that's when we get the best out of people. That's that's very different messaging than we usually hear from provincial politicians or from, you know, all politicians, uh, really. And it, and it would be a different it would be different for Winnipegers to start evaluating the candidates as representing the ward and not representing the party when they, you know, if they were to be elected. It's a, it's it's an approach. I think it would be a healthy approach. I agree with with you very much on that. And I'm going to. I look forward to having more conversations. We certainly look forward to more conversations about provincial affairs with yourself. I'd like to get some of your uh, colleagues uh, on the program, but you know, so far it was all city. So we hadn't even, honestly, this, you get elected. And I think, uh, you know, I realize like 
hmm, well, I guess we're going to do this then. And that's when I contacted <laughs> you, because how do I how do I not having having covered your, your campaign and having um, uh, uh, been able to to uh, have, you know, not intermittently things to do with you covering issues that that you would raise your voice on at the at City Hall, the the, with the police board and other important matters that, that in many cases aligned with our own uh, values and expectations here on the Great Canadian Talk Show. And uh, so, Kevin Klein, uh, best of luck. Uh, uh, I hope you get a nice, a nice close spot uh, right up, pulling right up to the legislature on Broadway. I don't know if that's reserved <laughs> for cabinet ministers or what. Uh, and I, I look forward to seeing you sometime as well. We haven't, uh, we haven't been able to break bread in quite some time, and I think we're a little overdue on that in that regard. Uh, and Kenny is a resident in your uh, riding, and so I'm sure that one of these days something will go sideways and he'll complain to you, and you'll be able to tell him that's not us, that's City Hall. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, Kenny, had I known you were in the Kirkville Park uh, constituency, I would have rather have done this interview with you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> so would I, but... <laughs> Kenny can do the maybe Kenny can do the next one. Kevin Klein, thanks for joining us today. Uh, best of the season to you and, and your. What I can now say is your long-suffering wife, having gone through these two marches like that. <laughs> I, I, I usually don't give people marital advice, but because I'm hardly an expert, but I do hope that there's some kind of a vacation and a warm weather place for her in her immediate future. She absolutely deserves that after these That's, many, many months. So, uh, oh yeah, we are, we are having those conversations. <laughs> that, that, that's for darn sure. But don't tell her that, don't tell her that I'm on her side, but, but I'm on no. her side in this regard. And, and Kevin, we'll talk with you soon. Thanks very much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. We'll be uh, right back with a little bit more of this podcast, believe it or not, right after this. You better watch out. You better not cry. Hey, everyone. This is Marty Golden. Uh, on behalf of myself and Spirit of Kenny, I want to thank you all for uh, your support uh, of the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast, the uh, relaunch uh, this past year in 2022, uh, certainly over the course of uh, the Christmas season. We wish all of you the very best. Uh, peace at home and on the streets of Winnipeg. Goodwill to all men, absolutely. Uh, and uh, rest assured, that in 2023, we will continue with the kind of work that we're doing, providing independent uh, news coverage and opinion of important matters here in Winnipeg and Manitoba and across the country. Uh, and in particular, guess what? There's an election campaign in 2023, and maybe we're going to have a few things to say about what's going to happen with the leadership of the province of Manitoba in the new year. Uh, stay with us for the ride, and your support is, of course, always welcome. Uh, have the best possible holidays and there'll be more coming from us in the new year. He knows if you've been bad or good so be good, be good for goodness sake. Well, Kenny, was that like the old days or what? That was just like the old days. I feel like there's people trying to come into the studio. It's their turn to go. <laughs> they're looking at me. They're like, yeah, they're looking at you through the window. But, but, but there was such a refreshing conversation with Kevin Klein who's had to change 100%. gears. Yeah. And and uh, he's, you know, it's interesting that he he's he's willing to go to bat and bring things to the attention of cabinet. Mm -hmm. And most MLAs, you know, rookie MLAs, they 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 want to learn the ropes, and you know, they don't want to rock the boat. And and Kevin Klein, um, although he's a you know a team player, as he said, uh, he's obviously not afraid to try to provoke thinking among his cohorts and that yeah. is welcome and he and he has like um like he has a lot of experience being a politician already but he's well, a he rookie now, going yeah. in there yeah so like it's just uh it, it should be interesting to see what he does 
in the next I, uh, year or so. Well, yeah, till October. Until the election, right? October, That's what I mean. when the election has to be called. Um, yeah. we interest, we're interested, of course, in your feedback on the interview with uh, Kevin Klein uh, and uh, anything else that we cover on the show or story ideas, tips, etc. cetera. Uh, MartyGoldLive at gmail.com. Use that one to get a hold of me uh, directly. I know that there's a pile of stories that have piled up. What The, the incident at the library, of which I have a number of observations and comments that I'm Kenny, I'm considering cutting a, a, a commentary about it at midweek, and uh, maybe we'll post that separately. Yeah, that sounds uh, good. And and you and I will try to, we won't be on our quite regular schedule over the holidays, but we will uh, midweek, n- not this coming week, not like this week as we when this is posted, but the week after, after Christmas, we are going to do a year-end podcast uh, and and wrap things up, and then we'll look forward towards, uh, towards uh, 2023. Um, and... Uh, I know, like I say, there's a lot that's piled up, and uh, Kenny, you've got a new schedule coming up, so we'll have some consistency in being able to produce these podcasts now. That is the plan, hopefully, yep, yep. Hopefully, that's what and, I foresee, consistency. Excellent, and I'm foreseeing the same, and uh, you know what, I we don't need to, we, well, no, I, I will do it this way. Uh, this has uh, so far been a, a good, a really good experience, and I'm I'm gratified by the kind of response that we've gotten because we continue to do things that the mainstream Winnipeg media, they, they, they aren't in the business of, they don't have the capacity to, somebody makes a decision to spike a story and we're able to cover things and perspectives and ideas and, and, and uh, amplify certain uh, information and facts that come to, that, that come to light. And uh, it looks like we're going to see, we're exa- going to explore the feasibility of doing so for the provincial election, which is a more complex, even more complex than the city. The city is difficult because you're not dealing with parties uh, and you're dealing with a lot of individuals, but provincially it's more complex. I know this from covering it in 2019 when uh, uh, I did that in a more of a blog style uh, with some video connections because there's an awful lot more policy issues that you're trying to differentiate between the candidates as well as Kevin Klein pointed out, the individual candidates um, uh, he he didn't use the term scrutinize, but the media would say scrutinize. The individual candidates need to be, uh, you know, talked to and 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 given a chance to speak so that people can evaluate them individually, uh, separate from the p- platform of the party that they're running for. So it's a bit of an undertaking. Uh, I'd love it if people would be able to assist us to address the shortfall, <laughs> uh, and it's not a huge shortfall, but things were a little shy of expectations. Uh, through the civic election and into the year end. And uh, those of you that are inclined over the uh, Hanukkah season to uh, to uh, help us out in that regard, to uh, just get caught up on the uh, the expenses for the podcast and for the the, the uh, election coverage, it would be much appreciated if you could do so. Of course, we will be uh, looking towards you in the audience to help uh, bring more listeners in, bring in some advertisers and ensure that we have solid footing for the provincial uh, campaign coverage, which I expect will more or less... Not knowing when the house is going to sit, when the house is going to rise, but more or less May 1st, more or less, um, I think is going to be when we would start ramping that up. Kenny, that's just a a guess on my part. I I, I think before the Victoria Day weekend. It sounds like a pretty good guess, yeah. Yeah, I think after Passover, after Easter, and then we'll we'll specifically put together our, our campaign coverage. And I intend to interview candidates from all political parties, including independents, 
but in particular, the the uh, candidates in swing ridings, the candidates that would be looking as being uh, potential uh, cabinet ministers, uh, the uh, and the candidates that bring something to the table. Uh, provincial politics. I I first started covering in 1989 oh. with MTN TV. I told that story. Okay, a little plug for the J.ca. Uh, our publisher, Ron East, is in Israel right now in Jerusalem at a media conference being hosted by the uh, Israeli government, uh, and he'll have a report this coming week. Last week, you go on our website, you'll see our personal remarks about Jim Carr, who Ron and I both knew Jim before he entered politics. Think of how long ago that is. Wow, that's crazy. And we both knew him beforehand. I have... Uh, uh, he was uh, Jim Carr was personal friends with with uh, Ron's father, my mentor Yarma Mizrahi, and his his, uh, uh, his uh, Ron's mother with Beata. Uh, and uh, Jim Carr wrote a column that is well, Kenny, you've been here to the office. You know Yoram's hat, and oh, that yeah. column sits on that shelf with Yoram's hat. And he oh, wrote no a way. column that actually mentioned one of Yoram's hats. And so <laughs> we have our own personal recollections of Jim Carr. Um, uh, and uh, he was very fair with me when I was at MTN. Boy, him and Reg Alcock, uh, Kevin Lamru. I mean, the, the liberals were the opposition party, and they needed all the help they could get uh, facing the film and conservatives. And they were always full of interesting comments after question period in the days when, when you know, we <laughs> there was some there were some barbs being tossed back and forth in those days when the NDP was regrouping uh, under Gary Dewar in third place. And so Jim Carr on a personal level um, always treated me fairly was affable. Uh, I, I know he got a kick out of my uh, unique questions <laughs> and, and sense of humor. Uh, and uh, he was certainly an important figure in the Jewish community and the community at large here in Winnipeg, our tribute com column, part of a news roundup about anti-Semitism in schools, uh, as part of a news roundup, the rest of it is about uh, anti-Semitic incidents in uh, Sir Robert Borden School in Ottawa and the University of Toronto Med School. Uh, but that column about Jim Carr, I encourage all of you to read it and to share it as we gave our own personal um, our own personal points of view about Jim Carr and the fact that uh, he was uh, he was around, you know, he watched Ron and I. I was already in my 20s, but basically he watched us grow up. Oh, wow. uh, I know is very, very, very different kind of uh, column to write mm -hmm. um, because I was never close friends with Jim Carr. I, I did have some personal conversations with him uh, at the odd time, but uh, um, it, it, we were never, you know, so we didn't socialize together except through the Hamis at the Hamis Rocky House. Uh, right. uh, so it was a little bit different to write, and and I was glad we were able to get it published, and it's gotten a very good response, including in Israel, where. Um, people in Israel, readers in Israel are saying that the, that we have had a relationship with Canadian parliamentarians uh, preceding the newspaper. And so I think that that's uh, demonstrating that we, we come at the work we're doing fighting anti-Semitism and reporting on matters of importance to the Jewish community and frankly, the general community as well, because Jews are the canary in the coal mine. Uh, you know, when the pogroms start, we're the canary in the coal mine for everybody else. And so in the J.ca, you'll, you'll read a column from Ron. Uh, uh, or pr probably one of our other writers with Ron will be quoted in it, of the media conference. Uh, David Bedin uh, on the scene in Israel. Uh, he's got some excellent stories. As last week, you don't hear anywhere, 600 terror attacks in Israel. He provided us with that exclusive. Last week, you'll see it on the website. He'll have another call in this coming week. Rachel Avraham uh, wrote very touchingly about being a widow. Her husband died 
completely unexpectedly. Uh, like the kids woke up and their father was dead on the floor this past winter. And she wrote about how difficult life is as a widow with three small children in Israel. She regularly writes about uh, Israeli domestic matters and has special stories about Azerbaijan, which uh, has very close relationship with the state of Israel. And there's a, a the world's oldest Jewish community in the diaspora outside of the Holy Land is in Azerbaijan, 2,600 years, continual presence of Jews oh, wow. in Azerbaijan, in Baku. Uh, so Rachel Avraham Dogan Ackman with his ongoing series up to part, will be coming up to part 25, the Trudeau government's fake fight against anti-Semitism. And of course, we pick up other features from other writers. Dr. Raphael Medoff provides great historical features often about uh, FDR, about Franklin Delano Roosevelt, other matters of historical interest. Uh, Moisha Phillips, we haven't gotten a call from Moisha in quite a while, actually, and I should check in on him and see how he's doing. Uh, 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 and, and other writers, as I said, uh, one's an old Max, 87 years old, grew up in Winnipeg and uh, lives in Vancouver and is in his, uh, 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 how do I put this, in his sun sunset years uh, with his wife and Max writes, uh, I, occasionally we were able to pick up a column uh, from him and he'll talk about uh, growing up, um, growing up in Winnipeg. Uh, uh, frequently. So we have a variety of, of writers. Not all of it is about politics. Uh, some of it is about domestic affairs, Canadian affairs, especially uh, obviously the anti-Semitism beat. Uh, but we have uh, stories about uh, uh, about uh, history, about education. Uh, and uh, just recently, a, rest, a story from Slam Wrestling. Thank you, Greg Oliver. Uh, a look at a wrestling card during the wrestling wars, the promotional wars in New York in 1932. We're having Jewish-sounding names and actual Jewish wrestlers drew crowds and big crowds. And uh, the story actually revolves around one wrestler who was promoted as a Jewish champion, but uh, he wasn't exactly Jewish. Uh, but the promoters um, matched him up often with Jewish guys for the Jewish championship. And, hmm. you know, the fans were happy because the matches were good. And Paul Bosch went on to a great career as the promoter in Houston, which is one of the leading uh, uh, places. To the point where I thought Paul Bosch, all my years in the wrestling business, like yeah. when he retired, like 80, 87 or whenever they did a retirement show and WWF took over the city and Vince McMahon came to the retirement show and Bruno Sammartino wrestled on it because he respected Paul Bosch. The day he retired, I thought the guy was Jewish. Yeah, this, it was so <laughs> interesting. Everybody thought he was Jewish. Only in the last few years you find out that one of the greatest Jewish wrestlers in North America in the 30s and 40s was actually Jewish. Uh, the deception. They got me. They got me. Uh, so uh, that's what's in the J.CA column. I mentioned this because of the column about Jim Carr. I encourage all of you to to, uh, to read it. Jim Carr supported. It is not widely known. Uh, he supported our radio program. He supported uh, the conversion to a podcast. Uh, he 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 didn't like my questions all the time when he was on the business council of Manitoba. Kenny, were you in the studio when I did that interview with Jim? Uh, it's so long ago. I don't remember. I know. I, 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 you may, it may not have been you, but I, a couple of the questions I think caught him, you know, off guard, uh, yeah. to say the least about the business council and the role of business, the growth of business, how to grow business in Manitoba. I had some points of view that perhaps he hadn't considered uh, previously, but you know, I, uh, inter an interview with me was, was never considered to be the easiest thing on the block. And I <laughs> tried to maintain that uh, while being polite, I've tried to maintain it, but Jim Carr supported the work I did. All those years, always had kind words for me, uh, and uh, I want to make sure that he, that 
that those of you in the audience, did you have a chance to go and read the story, read about uh, what it was like knowing Jim Carr in the 1980s when he he was wasn't a noble player in the symphony anymore, but he had not yet entered the world of politics, uh, a community leader that uh, that demonstrated a lot of leadership because saving the symphony was a miracle. And there was a committee of three people. I don't remember who the other members uh, were. Uh, Jim was a young guy, you know, young guy at the time. And uh, and he he did something that was a real um, a real lasting service to the city of Winnipeg and to our arts community. And he, he marshaled a lot of Jewish support, uh, clearly, uh, in that fundraising effort. Uh, so and he was, always gonna say, ago. He, he was always a good sport when with me, which right. I think, you know, some people may not think is such a great thing, but I certainly did. No, it definitely is. Listen, he he one time said, I got the perfect tie for you. <laughs> when I'm at the ledges, I got the perfect tie for you. Ah, <laughs> uh, see, so he's looking out for you. He was, he was. Him and Reg Alcock used to forever. I mean, it was an inside joke, right? Because I, I, I don't, I didn't like ties because they didn't fit very easily. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know, these, you know, Reg Alcock were very outrageous ties. So I think Jim Carr was, you know, setting me up for a, you know, getting a Reg Alcock tie. Oh, that's you know, even better. Uh, Big, loud, outrageous things. Uh, <laughs> amazing the memories that flood back, you know, that I don't come up anymore. Reg- regardless of all that, that's what's going on in the J.ca. Uh, your reaction to the Kevin Klein interview. If you are uh, able to support uh, our uh, not just the podcast, but my reporting efforts, then please do so. We bring you all the best from myself, Kenny, and our families over the holiday season. Uh this is a time of year that can be tough for some people, and when you see people in that situation, I know that you're going to show the the kindness and generosity that Winnipegers are famous for. Uh, I could tell a lot of stories about what it was like to drive cab Christmas week, Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, Boxing Day, uh, and for some people it was wonderful, and for some people it was a little less wonderful, and you do what you could to make them laugh. Uh, I, I, it's, it's hard to explain what it's like when you end up in a you know, going to somebody's door and Christmas is a struggle for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know that the people in our community will continue to look out for those individuals uh, and, and try to make them feel, uh, you know, as welcome uh, as possible at this time of year, uh, as well as having what I hope are tremendous celebrations in the absence of health restrictions and commands from the provincial government or other entities to be able to circulate, to be able to commiserate, to be able to enjoy uh, family and brotherhood together over the holiday season. I mean this uh, with with the deepest sincerity uh, that it's um, it's important to our spirit as a community that we are able to enjoy that facet of our lives uh, and and to uh, carry the the spirit of 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 happiness and cooperation forward through the new year. You'll be hearing from us before the new year, however. At uh, which time I'm sure Kenny will be making plans for his uh, next hangover. That's right. <laughs> Doesn't even flinch. Just takes the line, folks. That's it from us. My thanks to uh, – it's so easy to say Councillor Kevin Klein because I said it about 8 million times for four years. Right. Uh, our thanks to Kevin Klein uh, for joining us and providing us our first live uh, live to tape uh, interview on this podcast series so now yeah. we've established we can do that there's going to be more who do you want to oh see interviewed God. on this podcast send uh, send me an email let me know uh i uh, one other thing mayor gillingham um we haven't tried to pursue the interview with him like to time it out so 
I don't see that it'll happen before year end. It might, but I think we'll get a date to speak with Scott uh, early in the new year and uh, and get the um, new mayor of Winnipeg in on the program here with the Great Canadian Talk Show podcast. Oh, that would be great. It, it will. It will. Uh, I look forward to, uh, first of all, I look forward to the next podcast with you, Kenny, because this one went so well. I look forward to hearing from all you folks out there. Please share this podcast, spread the word. We're not going away. We're going to keep expressing opinions and bringing news and, and information forward. And the more people are uh, have this made available to them, the, the just the better it's going to be. And better it is for us, obviously, but the better it is for our community that, uh, that um, people know that there's others that share their opinions, that have differing opinions. Uh, there's different ideas out there. Uh, and this is part of the process. Uh, it's part of the process of community, in fact. Uh, and uh, we're trying to we want to continue to do our part and to expand that role in 2023. We'll come back uh, next week uh, sometime after Boxing Day, I think is a good guess, with a, a year end wrap up. I don't know. In particular, we might hand out a few gag awards or something like that. Oh, we, I should find a copy of Retropeg. Maybe we can hand that out. We could. I've got copies of Retro. I've got a, oh, I'm staring yeah, at Oh, we should totally do that. We will, but what under what premise? I don't know. We got uh, how, how do we want to do this? You know what? Here we go. Uh, if um, have if to be like hash be on Twitter, like hashtag retropeg or something like that. Sure, something like that. We'll 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 come up with an idea. But Kenny, right underneath the uh, the digital clock in the office, yeah, there's a box underneath it. That's the box of retropegs. Oh, you got a box it's in the phone? office. Oh, that's so and i we we can probably give away uh, three. I think that makes sense. Yeah, I'm guessing yeah. there's about a dozen in the box, uh, but I I know there's like not a small number. Yeah. So yeah, that's a great idea. So we'll have a year end giveaway uh, one way or the other. There'll be a year end giveaway as a token of appreciation for our listeners out there. Uh, and until next week, enjoy Hanukkah. Enjoy Christmas. Enjoy Festivus. Kwanzaa. Kenny happy Kwanzaa, everyone. Happy Kwanzaa. And Kenny and I will now adjourn for an airing of grievances. <laughs> <laughs> but this tinsel is distracting. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Until next week, that's it from us. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening. And remember, you have the power. Thanks for listening to The Great Canadian Talk Show. If you want to email Marty, send it to tgcts1 at gmail.com. Or follow him on Twitter at tgcts1.